Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Those of being raised from slave did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto his wife knew her not, as he had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's unite in prayer. Our Father, we know that at this point in time, your son is with you. For you sent him to this world as the baby in Bethlehem's manger, he lived, taught, preached, and died in order to bring life to all mankind, and now is preparing for us a place that he might receive his bride. Lord, we pray that we will ever look forward to that point in history when the sun will come again and the story will be complete of his prophecy of coming, his true coming, his going, his return, then his kingship forever will be established. We thank you, Lord, for the witness that we have experienced this evening in this part of the service, for the praise that Aaron gave us in El Shaddai, for you the land that our girls sang so well in taking us to your very throne. Now open our hearts and our minds to receive you into our lives in a very full and real way tonight. May this simply be the beginning of real Christmas in our heart and soul for we pray through Christ our Redeemer. I want to start tonight by concluding this morning's message. There's something that I should have said this morning that I didn't. Maybe I shouldn't have said it is why I didn't. But I want to conclude with it. I probably didn't have time to do it justice this morning anyway. But if you will turn, hold your finger there, Matthew, and turn over to Luke in the third chapter, where we were this morning, I want you to notice something. Just a little explanation about it. And what I would suggest you do is find it in Matthew, and then simply turn your Bible to Luke and lay a parallel so that you can see both of them at the same time, such as just like this, so that it's both the Luke section in chapter 3 at verse 31, and Matthew chapter 1 at verse 6. You can see them both at the same time by folding your Bible over just a bit. Matthew 
do that, and I want you to notice something. I told you this morning that the genealogy listed in Luke follows the line of Mary back, and that the genealogy in the book of Matthew follows the line of Joseph. And I want you to notice something as to where they actually go back far enough to be in the same line, back to David. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that in Luke, and if you will, for just a moment, turn over to the 23rd verse of Luke, there, chapter 3. Don't lose your place, because I'm going to have you turn right back. And I made reference to this verse this morning, but did not complete the discussion of it. Jesus himself being, began to be about 30 years of age, being, and then in parenthesis, as was supposed, everybody assumed, the son of Joseph, which we know he was not. But here's the phrase I want you to notice. Which was the son of Heli, H-E-L-I. Now, if you will look now, lay it down there, and look at Matthew in chapter 1, in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1, we find that Jacob begat Joseph, not Heli. I just want you to notice that statement, and I'm going to explain it to you, I think I am. Matthew says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, who was supposedly the son of Jesus. Luke says that Heli was the son of Joseph. Now, obviously, it would at least appear to us that two men cannot be the father of the same fellow. But there are two different statements made here. You will notice that neither one of them mentioned Mary at this point in the genealogy. Generally speaking, the genealogy was carried back the line through the father. Scholars do not agree as to why Luke uses Joseph being the son of Heli. But there are some possible explanations. It might very well and probably should have been read Joseph the son-in-law of Heli, not the son of, in Luke. Uh, many ways, we do not, even in modern-day time, use the phrase son-in-law. My son-in-law, Stan, I do not always introduce as my son-in-law. He is my son by marriage, but nevertheless, I consider him my son. Many people do that, would not make that distinction. And the scholars think that this is probably the thing that happened here. In order to follow the line back by identifying Joseph as the <coughs> earthly father, that they use this phrase, since Mary is not in the line. But it is very conclusive in all study that the line listed in Luke is the line of Mary, not of Joseph, even though Joseph here is identified as the, son, as the 
the son of Eli. Eli very likely is the uh, father of Mary. And Jacob is the father of Joseph and Matthew. Now, don't let that be confusing to you. Now, you've got your Bible folded over there where you can look at Luke verse, chapter 3, verse 31, and look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. Remember that Luke takes Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam, whereas Matthew starts at Abraham and comes forward. So the direction is opposite in lining out the family. But in verse 31 of Luke, notice the last phrase. He's going backward now. The son of Nathan which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Obed. Going backward. The son of David that produced the line of Mary is his son Nathan, not Nathan the prophet. There is another Nathan, and I referred to him this morning. But Nathan, the son of David. Notice in Matthew that it is David the king begat Solomon, and of her, that was the wife of Urias, and Solomon begat Rehoboam, and so on. What I want you to notice is the line of uh, Joseph comes from Solomon, the line of Mary comes from Nathan, who were two sons of David. Follow me? Joseph went back to the family of Solomon. Mary goes back to the family of Nathan. They have the same father. We don't get a like genealogy until we get to David. From David back, they have the same family. But not uh, at that point, coming forward to Jesus, there is a different line. Two brothers produce two different lines. One leads to Mary, one leads to Joseph. I don't know if that's any interest to you or not, except you genealogy buffs. But there's where the division comes in the two families that separate all the way up to Christ. And from that point, David back, of course, it's the same line. David and and, uh, and all the way back to Abraham, and then Luke even takes it all the way further back than that. Okay, now you can unfold your Bible if you want to, and just stay there in Matthew. But if any of you were seriously reading that, you would discover the problem of two different people being identified as the father of Joseph, and obviously that can't be. Okay. Jesus' birth was very amazing, of course. He's not the only amazing birth that there's ever been in the Bible. For example, Elizabeth was very old, about 90 years old, when she happened to become pregnant. Had never been before, and now she is, and she produces a child in the name of Isaac. There was a lady in the name of Hannah who had no children, and she prayed earnestly that God would give her a child. God opened up her womb, and she produced a son by the name of Samuel that became the great prophet. There was Elizabeth, another old lady who had never been pregnant, well beyond the childbearing age. 
that uh, became pregnant, and we have John, the forerunner of Christ. Those all were amazing, but there has never been a birth as amazing as the birth of Christ. Because this birth comes from a person who has never had a sexual relationship with anybody. She is an absolute virgin. No human has ever done that. You must have the union of male and female to produce an offspring. Our theology as Christians is based very strongly upon this fact that the Savior that we serve, this person Jesus that's referred to in the New Testament, was different in that his mother was a virgin. Now, if his mother was not a virgin, we don't have a Savior. It's that clear. If Mary was pregnant by the normal process of pregnancy, she produced nothing more than another child. Like we all were at one time, and like is still being produced. Just another person. Jesus was phenomenal in that he was produced by the union of God and man. God the Father, Mary the Mother, produced a God-man. A god and man combination. And that's never been done before. We have all of the things in uh, Greek mythology and all of the uh, weird things that you might see on the newsstand as you come through the checkout counter at Kroger's that gives you all of these phenomenal things that happen and once in a while you see one in there that says an animal and a person or a child. That's nonsense. It can't happen. But you know, that'll get people to buy that magazine. Somehow, I always read the headlines every time I go through. You see, what's that, you know. I never yet bought one of them. I sometimes get awful curious and like to buy one, but I just resist because I know that that stuff's not right. It's, it's, uh, it's a come on. The same kind of a thing, however, is present in the Bible. The thing that you see on the news racks at Kroger's that gives you this kind of, a, of an outlandish possibility is the very thing that we would be doing if we put the Bible up there and says that God and man had a union. And out of that union came a child. You see what I'm saying? It's not reasonable to the non-spiritual person. This is ridiculous. And the world reacts to the Bible like I just told you I react to reading those headlines in that paper. I say, how ridiculous. To the point that I won't even open up the magazine and read and see what it says. And that's what the world is doing with the same announcement 
of a phenomenal thing that happened. God came down and united with a woman, and they produced a child. That's exactly what the scripture says happened. And our theology is based on it. There are five things, five parts to what we believe that are absolutely essential for us to call ourselves Christian believers in Jesus Christ. One is his virgin birth. Secondly, that he died on a cross, an atoning death. Thirdly, that he resurrected from the grave. Fourth, that he ascended to heaven. And fifthly, he's coming again. You take any one of those five things out, and we don't have anything to base our faith on. You should always know those five things that we have as a basis for what we believe. The virgin birth is absolutely essential. His atoning death, his resurrection from the grave, his ascension to heaven, and his coming again. Those five things are essential for us to know and believe. The absence of any one of those will reject Jesus Christ as divine. It will reject all that we stand for. They either stand together or they all fall together. We cannot have one without all of them. When Jesus came along and started teaching things and started uh, uh, indicating that he was going to be a king, that he was from God and all these things, and, and uh, John taught this and others. And so all of this ministry of Jesus during the three years that, that he was teaching and preaching began to be suspect, and the religious people of the day began to say, we cannot accept what you're saying about yourself because we don't believe in this God-man union. I want you to go to, you can... Leave now Matthew chapter 1, if you will, and go to Matthew 22. You won't have to worry about keeping your finger there in any place from now on. In Matthew 22, I want you to notice some things. At verse 35. There's been a discussion going on between Jesus and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So, here we're in the middle of that, verse 35, and then one of them, which was a lawyer, the lawyers are good at challenging people, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. I was in that very situation not too long ago when I was giving a deposition and the lawyer who was opposing me was trying to trick me up and get me to say all kinds of things. He's trying to get me angry. But I was smart enough to know what he's trying to do. Well, let, me tell, let me just give you the thing he said to me to try to rattle me. It was about a conversation I had over the telephone with his clients. And he said to me, suppose he told you to go to hell, what would you have done? And so I said in response to the lawyer, well, if, since you asked the question in that manner, I'll give you this answer. I surely would not have gone to hell. And he had no response back to me. Uh, 
trying to trick me up, trying to get me rattled. And this is exactly what the lawyer was trying to do with Jesus, tempting him and saying, verse 36, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, and here's his answer, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he didn't stop. The lawyer only asked him for the greatest commandment. He gave it to him. But he, he didn't stop. Verse 39, And the second, the second greatest commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. And I, and I know that's not really a part of the message for Christmas here, but I want you to notice. We have people that want to go through the Bible and pick out this, that, and the other, all kinds of things, and hang everything on it. There's only two hangers in the scripture of everything. One is you must love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the other hanger is you have to love your neighbors yourself. That's the only two hangers there are. We can talk about everything else you want to talk about, but if we don't hang something on one of those two, we have failed. It's got to hang one place or the other. No other way can we, can we do it. Well, Jesus then makes this response, and then verse 41, and while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, See, he didn't just answer the question. He comes back with the question and says in verse 42, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Now he's got them on the, on, on the carpet. What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? And they answered and said, The son of David. Is that a right answer? Well, let's see if, if they answered properly. And he said to them, well, how then does David in spirit call him, that is the Christ, Lord? If the Messiah, if Christ is the son of David, why is it that David calls him Lord? Wouldn't that be rather odd for the father to call the son Lord? Verse 44, the Lord said unto my Lord, and here he's quoting, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand, till I make thy enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? Whose son is Jesus? Does his line go back to David? And that's all? Is he simply nothing more than another person in the genealogy that someday will sit on an earthly throne? That's what they thought. That's all Jesus was, was another political person who would be born into this world and sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem and rule Israel. They had no idea that he was going to be the Son of God. They should have had that idea because it was prophesied 
in Isaiah and Jeremiah and a lot of the other prophets, it was told over and over and over again that he would be the Son of God. But they didn't hear that. They only wanted to take what they wanted, and they were after a physical kingdom. So he pins them to the wall and points out very firmly that the Christ is not the son of David, the Christ is the son of God. Jesus is a pretty good lawyer. Verse 46, and no man was able to answer him a word. Neither did there any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. I mean, now they'd had all they wanted. They weren't going to ask any more. All through the scripture, Jesus, well, Jesus asked the same question to his disciples. Who do people say I am? And they gave their list of, oh, you're John the Baptist resurrected, or you're Elias come back to life, or you're another great prophet. They called him a great teacher. They called him a prophet. They called him a, a great leader. They, uh, they called him a model of moral character. Yes, he was a great man. And we might stand up and shout, Yay, man! You're great. You're marvelous. You're a good leader of people. And whenever somebody starts yelling how great you are, somebody's going to come along and and uh, start doing something else. They, they yelled great things to him as he went into Jerusalem, but it wasn't long until they were also yelling crucify. What is he, the Son of God? And they're saying, listen, that's just too much. You go down the streets of any city you want, or wherever you want, and ask people what they think about Jesus, and they will tell you he was a prophet, they will tell you he was a great teacher. They will tell you he was a great, great leader of men. They will put him in the line with all the other great leaders of the world. And you will discover that surveys have been made, and they do not place Jesus as the most influential person in the world. Even George Washington has a place beyond Jesus in the minds of most people. The great leaders of the world will not find Jesus as number one. You'll find him down 10, 11, 12, somewhere along that line. People will finally put him in the list. He is a great person, but the world does not recognize the very thing that we say must be, and that is that Jesus is not a simply in the line of David. Jesus is the Son of God. That's his lineage. And he became such through a marvelous birth. We call the virgin birth. All right, now let's look just a bit further here in Matthew, first chapter. In verse 18, we are told that the manner of the birth of Christ, his mother Mary was engaged to a man by the name of Joseph. And you have already heard many, many times that an engagement in Israel was the same as a marriage, and in order to get out of it, you had to get a divorce. We don't have it that way today. You get engaged and disengaged as often as you want to. Nobody thinks anything about it. Our society does not even think about engagement as having that kind of finality to it. In that day, they did. They were, mar they were married with a ceremony, but they couldn't live together for a solid year. 
That was the law. And it was during this year's period that suddenly uh, she became uh, pregnant and began to show, and Joseph noticed that she was pregnant and knew that he was not the father. Now, the emphasis probably has been placed on the wrong spot there in verse 18. The emphasis has been placed upon Mary, who was a spouse to Joseph, when the emphasis ought to be placed on the fact the manner in which she was with child was phenomenal in that the, the personality that is the Father is the Holy Ghost, the third person, of course, of the Trinity, and therefore God. He was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And people would say that's a likely story. In verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, notice he's called her husband, although they haven't lived together yet, being a just man, you realize that God probably put as much emphasis in selecting Joseph as he did in selecting Mary. He had to have a man of impeccable character to be the earthly father of his own child. Joseph was a just man, and when he discovered that his wife, that he had never yet lived with, was pregnant, he was not willing to make her a public example. He was not willing to divorce her publicly, but sought a way whereby he could privately divorce her. It wouldn't hit the papers, so to speak. It would be done in quietness. He had enough love and respect for Mary to not want to cause her the slightest amount of embarrassment. The concern was not for himself. His concern was for her. Now, that's love. And that's the kind of love that we don't see too much of today. Even when it comes to points of divorce, and we know that they have, we've all been exposed to them in one way or another. It has happened since the beginning of, uh, of time, almost, not quite, but almost from the Garden of Eden onward. And if you would read the book of Hosea, you would discover that God actually is divorced. Does that shock anybody? He divorced himself from the people of Israel. Divorced. Rejected his wife, Israel. And turned to us. Did you know that? Well, that's another story. Joseph did not want to do anything that would embarrass in any way Mary. So he tried to figure out a way to divorce her, which he felt that he could not continue married to her with her carrying the child of somebody else. Verse 20 indicates to us that he did not make a hasty decision. But he thought about it. He thought about it, and he thought about it. Prayed about it. I'm sure he prayed about it. He discussed it with himself over and over and with God over and over. He did not know quite how to accomplish 
what he knew he had to accomplish in this divorce. And an angel from the Lord appeared to him and helped him in his decision. He did not make it quickly. He prayed for guidance. And God said, Joseph, do not be afraid to begin living with Mary. Because her child, you know she is carrying, and no is not yours, belongs to God. A likely story, Joseph could say, but he did not. He accepted at face value what God's message was. If we are faced with big decisions in our life, and will earnestly pray for guidance, God's going to give it. Then it's up to us to know what he said and abide accordingly. And all of us have faced and are facing gigantic decisions. We don't know which way to turn, just as serious to us as Joseph's problem was. It might be in marriage or out of marriage. It might be in business or as a job, or finances, or whatever might be the big issue that you and I are facing. What I want to say to you is, the way to solve that problem is slow deliberation with God. Not quick, hasty decisions on your own. But mull it over with God. Pray to God earnestly. Lay it in His hands. Ask Him for direction. What should I do, Lord? This is what Joseph said. And when we have placed ourselves back completely and fully in God's hands, we're going to discover that he takes control, and when he gives us the answer, it'll be the right one. Most of us are so hasty that we never give God a chance to even address the subject. We want to do it on our own. And we do it hastily, we do it in anger, we do it without a lot of deliberation, we do it with no prayer. Any decision made without prayer has got to be a foolish decision. It's left God out. Joseph didn't do that. He put God in. You see, God already has his plan. It was set in motion. The child that was about to be born was important. It had, he had to be born, and he must have an earthly father. Nobody is going to buy the fact that God would ask Mary to raise this baby on her own without a father. He has a plan. I earnestly, earnestly believe, without question, that every person here or anywhere who is a Christian, God has a plan for our lives. He knows what he wants us to do, to be, to become. The problem is we don't try to fit into that plan and try to make our own way and force our own direction. God has it mapped out. 
all of those people in the genealogy of Christ had a plan and a purpose for their life in order that Jesus would be born. I want to come back to Joseph just to close. Do you realize what a tremendous pressure was placed upon Joseph when the scripture says that he went ahead and took her as his wife and the scripture says in the last verse, 25th verse, that first chapter, and knew her not till she delivered. Did not engage in a husband-wife relationship until after the delivery. That is moral fiber. The proof, I think. The firstborn. Now, after that, they had other children. You know, they had at least two other boys and two other and two girls. There might have been more. Them would have been four children besides Jesus in their family eventually, at least. A woman of such character that Jesus would select her to be the mother of his child has to speak extremely highly of Mary. And a man of such character that he would select to be the earthly father of Jesus speaks highly as well. I've asked this question many times I close with it. How near does your life and mine match the expectations that God would have for he bringing Jesus into the world today? Could you women be the mother of Jesus? Could we men be the father? Could we have that kind of character? God would select us. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.